0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I wanna thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Philippians chapter three here, starting with verse one. I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation. It begins with verse one, it says this. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone say whatever. So whatever happens, and he says, brothers and sisters, that's you and I, he's talking to the church, rejoice in the Lord. Look, whatever happens in 2020, rejoice. Rejoice. I don't care if you get three days in and things start falling apart, things start unraveling. I don't care if you have a good January and then February starts tanking. Choose now to rejoice. Be proactive with your rejoicing. Don't allow your, your situations or your circumstances to determine your level of rejoicing. I'm gonna rejoice regardless of what I see. I set myself there now. December 29th, I'm setting myself that in 2020 I will rejoice. What come, what may, I will rejoice. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling these telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard. Your faith, man, if we only understood that statement. You want faith, but you aren't putting any guards or boundaries around it. You've got to safeguard your faith. Why? Because your faith is on attack. There's something coming after your faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith. Your faith is necessary for you to walk out the life that God has for you, to walk out his plans and his purposes. In 2020, you're going to need faith, number one. But number two, you're going to need to safeguard that faith. Get some protectors around it. Get some boundaries around it. Don't just let anybody have access to your faith in 2020. Don't just let anybody have access to say whatever they want and speak whatever they want into your life. Make sure you are protecting, safeguarding your faith. He says, I do this to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence, here it is, in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then he begins to give his natural resume. I was circumcised When I was eight days old, I am a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. This is Paul speaking. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. I believe in 2020, we're gonna find out what's really valuable. What is really valuable? Where are you putting value? I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them valuable worthless. Not just having lost value or, uh, uh, you know, gone down a little bit, but they're completely worthless. The things that I once gave my full interest, my full investment, uh, the things I once put all my effort into, now it, it was wasted. It's completely worthless. It contains no value at all. That's the worst kind of tanking, when you go from having what you think is valuable to having no value whatsoever. That's, that's what it must feel like to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. You thought you had something of value, and you found out it's completely worthless. It means nothing. And I'm from Dallas, so that's what that means. That's why I don't care about the Cowboys. That's why you root for the Patriots. All right, let's keep on going here. I've already lost some of you. He says this, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Everything else is worthless when you compare it. See, sometimes we give something value because we're not comparing it properly. But when you actually, does it stand up against? How does it compare to? When you actually find out what you should be valuing, everything else loses its value. He says this, for his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Then he says this, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So he once made other people suffer. Now he's saying, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead you've heard the rest of this and I'll get into that in just a moment but the 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 thing that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart closing out this year and 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 catapulting us into 2020 title my message is let it develop let it develop and um you know, I think that our, our culture and um, the day and age that we live in has lost value for development, just the development of something, the, the, the natural growth state uh, that all things must endure so that they can become effective. In essence, development ensures your effectiveness. Development ensures your effectiveness. You do not have proper effectiveness until you have proper development. Anything that is underdeveloped, anything that is short of reaching uh, its full development, or another word we could use is maturity, anything that is immature, uh, is compromised in its effectiveness. It's compromised in its ability to do its assignment. If it's missing something, just as Pastor Chris just uh, encouraged us, that if we're missing something, if we're underdeveloped, missing components, or, uh, you know, he talked about function, the opposite of functional is dysfunctional, okay? So if you have a vehicle, uh, if you have a body, Uh, If you have uh, uh, anything that is underdeveloped, uh, that is immature, that has not reached its full capacity, then you are compromising its effectiveness. I don't know about you, but I want to go into 2020 fully effective for the work God has assigned me. And so this development process, I actually looked this up, just the word develop, and it means this, to grow. Or cause to grow. To grow or to cause to grow. The word develop means to grow or to cause to grow. So there's actually a twofold meaning. It's my personal growth, my personal development, my personal maturity. But here's the thing in the body of Christ, since we're all connected, since we are one, my inability to grow, my inability to develop, affects somebody else's development. Are you seeing this? If you won't grow for yourself, at least grow for your neighbor. At least grow because of what you're connected to. Uh, The Bible tells us that each joint supplies. Ephesians chapter 4 refers to the body of Christ and says that you and I, we are but joints. We're joints in the body of Christ. I'm jointed with you. You're jointed with me. She's jointed with him. He's jointed with her. The old are jointed with the young. The young are jointed with the old. And we're all jointed together. We're connected. We're joints. So we have to understand that we're not in this on our own. We're not in this by ourselves. What I do or do not do can limit or compromise and affect someone else or something else. So this idea of being developed means that I've got to grow, but my growth can also cause or hinder the growth of another. It even gave me this definition. I really like this one. It said uh, to develop means to improve existing resources to improve existing resources. Some of us are just satisfied with what we came into the kingdom with. Some of us are just satisfied with the level of faith that we had and the level of belief in God and the level of our worship. But there is a improvement that I believe God is expecting and God is looking for. That there's a continual advancing. There's a continual developing. And when you have development, good development, healthy development, it causes you to improve the resources you already have. And it causes you to improve yourself, but it also causes you to improve those around you. I don't wanna just be a believer that it's just me, God, and the Holy Spirit. I wanna be a believer that says it's me and you, God, but as I'm growing, I want to help others grow. I wanna help others develop. I wanna help others reach their full potential. Are you satisfied with just reaching your own potential? Are you just satisfied with just being the best version of you that you can be? Are you satisfied? Or are you, you want to take this thing a step further and say, you know what? Everyone I come into contact with ought to be better because they know me and have been in my presence. I want everybody that's ever been around me to be better. I want to improve existing resources. You have resources. You have resources at your disposal. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents where Jesus gave to one five talents. He gave to another three talents. He gave to another one talent. And the one with the five and the one with the two were given resources. That's ultimately what they were given. That's what was placed in their care. They were given resources. But two out of the three decided that it wasn't good enough to just have resources uh, in, in, in in you know to to hold on to resources at their disposal they said we are going to improve these resources by trading and sharing and investing and we know that the five came back with five more and the one with Two came back with two more. And then the one with one, he did what? He had no desire to improve his resources, just to hold on to his resources. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us are just thankful for what we have, just thankful for what I've been given, thankful for what I have at my disposal, but we're not looking for ways to improve it, to expound upon it, to make it better and greater, and to ultimately leave a greater impact. To ultimately leave, greater effectiveness with our assignment and on the world around us. It means to, go, uh, to grow or to cause to grow and it means to improve existing resources. Development determines and ensures effectiveness. Development is where all the necessary characteristics and attributes, attributes are established that allow you to be effective. Development is where all the necessary characteristics and attributes are established to allow you to be effective. I mean, in this building today, we have human beings. From the old to the young, they all have the same characteristics and the same attributes. But all of us from the babies that were just born this year to those that have walked this planet for 70, 80 plus years, if you're in that category, have established those characteristics or attributes to greater or lesser degrees. And that degree determines your effectiveness. Because I know right now that we have babies that are, you know, probably within, I guess, eight months old. I don't, I don't know who are who are youngest participant is, who our youngest attendee is. I don't know if that'd be Sophie and Sailor or Avonlea or Kara. There we go. Yep. Levi and Kara Watson would have, would easily, what, about a month old, maybe? Brand new. Corbin, I believe his name is. And Corbin, uh, you know, he's got some developing to do, doesn't he? Now, he's had nine months of development within a womb. He had to be in a a proper environment conducive for that type of development. But eventually, he comes into this world. Eventually, that child comes into this world and now can begin a different level of development. And he will develop teeth. He will develop talking. He will develop walking. He will eventually develop feeding himself. He will eventually develop uh, learning things, uh, going to school and learning uh, arithmetic and English and history and science, and then eventually will develop character traits, personality traits, gifts and talents, skills. All these things are housed in that little being, but until the development comes along, it hinders the effectiveness. Now there we are not expecting Corbin to do a whole lot at this time in life. Right? I hope not. But it would be very silly of me to gauge Corbin's development against Kyle's or Kyle's against Corbin. Cuz we're in developmental stages. There are stages of development. But we live in a culture today that wants to fast-track development. We live in a culture today, you know, when I was thinking about this word development, and some of you may remember this, I remember when you had a camera that had this huge opening and you stuck in film. And the film had to be Developed. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And you know what they called that film? They called it The Negatives. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, the very thing you've been rejecting, and the very thing we want no part of, and the very thing. Wouldn't it be crazy and so awesome if our life was just full of positives? But what if it's the negatives that are producing development in your life just as much as the positives? Yeah. And then you had to take that film, uh, you know, they, they used to call it a dark room. Out of sight, out of mind. Hello? You got to take the negatives and you got to put them somewhere where nobody sees them. Nobody, we just want the finished product. And so we live in a day and age today that we want product without process. We want product, we want the end result. But I wonder if our end result is as effective as it could be, if we would allow the development process to run its course. Look at your neighbor, say, let it develop. Look at them, tell them, let it develop. Let it develop. There's like three of you that did that. It's sad. 2019, we've been doing this all year long, you know. I think there's people that come in here and says, whatever he asked me to do, I ain't doing it. I ain't touching my neighbor. I ain't. High-fiving anybody? I ain't repeating nothing. I ain't shouting amen. Some of you in this room, I tell you what. (laughs) That's all right. We're going to drive on anyways. I want to give you three things that will help us uh, allow the the, the development process to run its course. I don't know about you. I want to reach full development, full maturity. And things in 2020, whatever you're believing for, whatever you're, uh, uh, whatever promises you're expecting God to fulfill, whatever things you're expecting to change, we tell you right now, it's not gonna happen overnight. You're gonna need to let it develop. You're gonna need the development maturing process to run its course so that it can be as effective as it is supposed to be, as effective as it can be. I don't wanna get to the end and find out this thing doesn't work the way it's supposed to. This thing's not gonna reach any, it's not gonna have any influence, not gonna have any impact, it's not gonna be effective or productive because I fast-tracked it, I skipped a bunch of things. Just imagine if we skipped stuff. You know, and there's some things, yeah, you might not care what the development process looks like, but you want to be ensured that somebody did. You don't want to get on a plane that somebody skipped development process. Hello? You don't want to get behind a wheel that somebody skipped the development process, I don't care how fast you want that car, I don't care how quick you want it off the assembly line, You, there are just some things in life that we can tend to be a little more cautious with and others we just don't think it really matters. But there are some things in your life you'll find out, you know what, I need to make sure that the development process wasn't skipped, that we allowed everything to run its course. And I believe... Here in Philippians chapter three, Paul shows us a few things. Number one, number one, these are three things we need to know to allow the development process to run its course. Number one, what is the most important is not always the most impressive. What is the most important is not always the most impressive. Yeah, impressive because we love to impress. We love to leave an impression. We love for other people to come in contact with us and to walk away, have a glimpse into our technology we have. We can build whatever uh, lens we want people to see. We can share whatever world, whether true or not, we can pose that in front of people and they can be impressed with somebody that's not even us. Be impressed with our families and be impressed with our successes and be impressed with what we did and be impressed with what we didn't do and on and, and this, this idea of impressing people. But here's the thing that you're gonna have to realize for 2020. This is the thing you're gonna have to realize where development takes place. It's not always impressive. In fact, it's rarely impressive. If people really knew what it took to be impressive, if people really knew the work behind the scenes, if people really knew, and that's what Paul says. So Paul says in this passage, he basically says, I had on this outward, natural appeal that I thought people would be impressed with. And if I wanted to impress people with my resume, I could do it. I was a Hebrew, full-blooded Hebrew, born through and through. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I knew it all. I kept the law better than anybody. That was his resume. That's what he thought people were impressed by. That's what he thought people wanted to see. All the while, he's dying on the inside. All the while, his purpose is compromised. All the while, his effectiveness is ruined. All the while, his success, true success, according to God, is being derailed and sidetracked because he thinks what people will be impressed with is all his natural stuff. Let me tell you how much I know. Let me show you. Let me tell you how long I've been doing this. Man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That means I was the real deal. These other people coming in, they're fake. They got circumcised when they were in their 20s, when they were in their 30s. When I was circumcised. I did it the right way is what he's saying. That means something. But what he's finding out is impressing God and impressing people are two completely different things. So, what is the most important, many times, is the least impressive. This is what you need to know. You must, uh, you accomplish much by first accomplishing little. You accomplish much by first accomplishing little. You accomplish great things in the kingdom of God by first accomplishing the little things. I can't remember how the exact statement goes, but it's something along the lines of, of your private life is of more value than your public life. And we all live different levels of a public life based upon what you do, your notoriety and, and, and the, the, the amount of influence you give. given. But I can tell you right now, all of us have a public life and all of us have a private life. And when the two align, that's called integrity. When you're the same up here as you are out there, when you're the same out there as you are behind there, that's called integrity. That's where there's no difference. For me as a pastor, one of the greatest accomplishments and one of the greatest things anybody could tell me about my life, about Pastor Mark, about who he is, is not my preaching, is not my oratorical skills, is not the growth of this church and ministry. I want people simply to say, he's the same up there as he is out here. That's what I want in my life. I don't want any differentiation between private and public. I don't want any differentiation behind closed doors and out in the open where everyone can see it. I don't want any differentiation. I don't want any change. I don't want anything to be different, and you shouldn't either. Just because you may not be on a a stage holding a microphone, having your voice broadcast across the, the global worldwide internet or whatever doesn't change a thing. You've got people you come into contact with. God's placed influence in your life. Sometimes we get so hung up trying to impress and we lose what's important. We lose what's really important. I want the little things to be just as important in my life as the big things. I want the little things. You know, I know in in, in leadership, you know, per se, it's a bad thing to be a micromanager, right? Nobody wants a boss that's a micromanager. But let me just go ahead and tell you something. The Holy Spirit is the greatest micromanager this world has ever seen. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you think. He knows the numbers that are on the, the hairs that are numbered on your head. He knows every little thing. Of, he knows more about you than you know about yourself. He is a micromanager, and one day he will call you on all of it. You will stand before him for everything. It'll be placed on an altar and we'll see what burns up and we'll see what sticks. We'll see what stays. That's really going to happen. I think we've lost sight of that. We don't talk about sin and we don't talk about judgment and we don't talk about the great white throne and we don't talk about, we talk about Jesus as our savior, but he is a, when he comes back, he's coming to divide and conquer He is coming to split things right down the middle. He's coming to make things black and white. He's coming on a great white horse. He's coming ready to judge nations, judge his people and collect his redeemed. Yeah, he's a God of mercy and grace, but he is also, you cannot have mercy and grace without judgment, it's impossible. It's like you can't have good without bad. so we forget what's impressive. We forget what's important. We forget what really matters. We forget what God's really looking at. We forget, well, God knows my heart. You're absolutely right. He does. You, of, of, of all people, we should be the ones most concerned about our hearts because we know he sees it. We know that He wants your heart. He doesn't want your behaviors. He doesn't want your actions. Don't don't go into this new year saying, God, here's all my resolutions. He says, I don't want your resolutions. I just want you. And out of that will flow resolutions, attitudes, habits, behaviors, patterns, thoughts. When I first make a priority, God, I'm living to please you. I don't need to impress God. He's already impressed by me. I'm his child. I'm his son. You're a daughter. You're a son of the king. He, you already have that worth, but he wants you to live a life in line with the value and worth he's already placed on your life. He wants your life to produce the worth and value that he's put inside you. Are you improving the resources he's given you? So we need to discover what is important We need to discover impressing and impressions are not what changes people. It's being successful in the assignment that God has called us to be. And if your goal is impressing others, you just simply will never achieve success. You'll never achieve success. You'll never achieve success. I think it was Billy Graham that said, somebody asked him one time if... uh, his critics' voices ever bothered him or moved him. And he said something along the lines of, I don't live for the criticism of men. I also don't live for their praise either. Neither one moves me. Whether they praise me, whether they critique me, whether they criticize me, whether they lift me up, whether they talk good about me, whether they talk bad about me, it doesn't matter. My only goal is to be successful to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords, the one who's given me purpose, the one who's given me the, the assignment, the one who's placed the resources in my life. That's my only goal. And it should be the same for us. Number two, how are we going to allow this developmental process to run in our life. Number two, we must discover that what is the most consistent is the least celebrated. What is the most consistent is the least celebrated. You know, it's an interesting thing that typically, not, not all cases, of course, but typically when we are complimented on something, it means that we rarely do it. Because people get familiar and people come to expect what you do consistently. If you show up on time or prior to on time consistently, you know what? Eventually, people won't even recognize that. It's just come to expected. Man, that individual, they're always prompt. They're always, if we set a time in, they're there. They're there early. They have things ready to go. They're not lagging behind. They're not struggling to get there. They're not delayed. Uh, but you get someone that, for the most part, has a hard time with time management, Look straight ahead, don't look next to you, don't look behind you. I tell you right now, that doesn't go away when you turn 18. Now, some some of us still haven't managed time. But you happen to show up one time early. Man, just if people rave about you walking into a building on time, that's that's an indicator I've got a time problem. The people that show up on time, See you show up at a... Man, look at you. Man, you made it on time today. Didn't hit that train today, huh? Yeah. No. We've got to discover, and you'll, you'll have to figure this out, that your development in 2020 is gonna require some discipline. You know, the biggest, the biggest factor every year we turn this clock every year. You know, I almost wanted to title this message, There's Nothing New. This isn't anything new. I know it's a new year. I know 2020, new decade. I, I read something yesterday. I fell into this category. If you're born in the, or in the 80s, uh, I have lived four decades, uh, two millenniums and something else before I turned 40. Great. Awesome, thank you for telling me all that I've accomplished and I'm not even 40 40 years old yet. Because that's me, I was born in the 80s. I'm like at the back end of the millennials or whatever you want to call it. And um, no idea where I was going with that, so (laughs) let's just keep moving on. (laughs) Nothing new, there's nothing new. We've done this before. You've seen January 1st before. Probably still have things on your list this year that you had on your list last year. It's nothing new. To God, he doesn't have a calendar up in heaven. Okay, here we go. The reason why God can do new things in our life in January is because we have our minds set around things changing. It's us, not him. It's you and I. But your development this year is going to demand some discipline. I put it this way. Discipline picks up where motivation leaves off. Yeah, we're motivated January 1 through January 31, February 28, maybe even March thirty-first. Maybe we'll get the first quarter in. But what happens when you're no longer motivated? If you did not put in some measures of discipline, you're going to find yourself celebrating things that really aren't worth celebrating. You're going to find yourself in a category of inconsistency. You're going to find yourself in a category. This is why I said that the things that you do consistently are often the least celebrated. You're going to have to get to a point in your life and in your walk with God where it may not draw everyone else's attention, but you keep doing it anyways. If you need a motivating factor, that means that you'll always be at the mercy of external circumstances. I'm always at the mercy of a thank you. I'm always at the mercy of an affirmation. I'm always at the mercy of a pat on the back. I'm always at the mercy of recognition. I'm always at the mercy of some type of motivating factor that keeps me going. I wake up at a certain time. I go and do this and I go and do that or I don't do this anymore. I relieve myself of that. Whatever it is that you go into with this year, it's not always gonna be praised. It's not always gonna be recognized. It's not always gonna be celebrated. You got to do it anyways. And Paul is stating, I've discovered what's really valuable. I've discovered, this is the thing. You discover what's valuable as a counterpart, as a byproduct, you discover what is worthless. I would take the time, if you haven't already, to determine what is valuable in my life. What do I consider of worth? What do I consider worth in my life? What is the value What's the value of my family? What's the value of my spouse? What's the value of my marriage? What's the value of my church, my church attendance, my serving in church, giving in church, being a part of the body of Christ? What's my value in the workplace? What is my value? And there you will find out what is also worthless. You'll find out what's not really of value. Then from there, you gotta do one more step because you're not done. Because you know as well as I do, just because we say it's worth it doesn't always mean it is worth it. The greatest way to determine worth and value is time. You can put your spouse up on the top of the list, but if you don't give your spouse time, they're not on the list. You can put your kids on that list, go ahead. But does the time reflect the value? Does it reflect the investment? What I do consistently is not always gonna get noticed. It's not always. And so again, if we're living for these external components, if we're living for these external uh, uh, parameters to determine what is valuable and not valuable in our life, you're gonna find yourself giving a lot of attention to things that don't matter. You're gonna find yourself burning out on the things that do. And you will not maintain, you will not continue for a very long time. Nobody can sustain motivation. Nobody can. It's impossible. Even Jesus, when he got into the Garden of Gethsemane, it says his soul was deeply distressed. What happened? The motivation went away. And discipline had to kick in and say, whether or not I'm motivated to do it or not, I'm disciplined to follow the voice of God. Thank God he was disciplined to heal when he was told to heal, to go where he was told to go, to do what he was told to do, to cast out what he was told to cast out, to raise up what he was told to raise up. Thank God he disciplined himself to follow the voice of God. So when he got in that garden and he said, I'm no longer motivated to do your will, I have a will, I have an agenda, I I don't want to do this, but not my will. Motivation doesn't say that. And see, even when Jesus had, even his closest followers, closest friends, point out that, hey, you don't have to do this. Don't do it. Stay here with us. Even when Peter got in his face and say, may this never be. Because of discipline, he was able to look back and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have God's agenda, but man's. Yeah. We're gonna have to develop discipline. There's no development without discipline. Amen. Number three. Number one, we... would have to determine that what is the most important is not always the most impressive. Number two, we will have to determine what is the most consistent can be the least celebrated. You don't need external motivators. I'm just telling you right now, you don't need it. You might think you do, but you don't need it. You can do it. Look at your neighbor, say, you can do it. Say, you don't need me. Say, I love you. I appreciate you, but you don't need me. Just go ahead and get it out of the way. Go ahead and just get it all out of the way. Number three, you realize Jesus went to the cross by himself. By him, that's only discipline. Nobody went with him. I'll go as long as you go. No. Number three. Number three, your greatest effort reveals your greatest investment. Your greatest effort reveals your greatest investment. Sometimes I think we disconnect these two. Sometimes I think that we believe, we've tricked ourselves into believing that we're investing in things even though we give little effort and that we're not investing as much into things that demand a lot of our effort. But the two are connected and always will be. That Effort equals investment. Effort, energy, this is amount of time, of consumption. This is the energy it takes. That's investment. That's investment. When you make an investment, investment's different than buying something. When you invest money, that's different than paying for something. That's different than buying something and you get the shelf life or you, give, you, you get the worth and the value. When you invest something, the value increases, not decreases. It becomes a profit rather than a loss. It becomes an asset rather than a liability. And ultimately, that's what Paul says. I once considered these to be of high value, and I gave a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of attention to these things. But now I consider them worthless. And then he goes on to say, let's see if we can pinpoint it here. In verse 7, in verse 7, what things were gained to me that I have counted loss. The New Living reads, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. But I love what the New King James, these things I thought were gains, they were actually, you know, you, you, if you've ever done any kind of, um, uh, run any kind of business and you have to keep a, a log of assets and liabilities, you, you have a, a asset column, a liability column, you have a profit column, column and a loss column. You have a plus column and a minus. And so now what he's saying is, I had these things over in the profit column, but now I'm having to find out that they are losses. These were liabilities to me. These were actually worthless. That would be really heartbreaking. Find out you spent all this time investing in what you thought was a profit, an asset to you, And to take it before the auditor, or take it before, uh, you know, whoever does that stuff, get it before them, and they say, you know what, this is actually a liability. It's actually costing you money. It's not adding to you, it's taking from you. That would be horrible to find out. What I once counted as a gain, what I once counted as an increase, what I once thought was adding value to me, And I was putting my effort there. And I was putting my energy there. And I was giving it my attention. I was throwing my, but now I found out it was a loss. So guess what else is a loss? The attention and the time and the energy becomes wasted. When you invest time in a loss, when you invest time in a liability, you lose the time as well you lose the energy as well. It compromises the effort altogether. In 2020, we're gonna have to be able to take accurate inventory of our lives. What is a profit and what is a loss? What is a gain? What is an increase? What's a decrease? But he goes on to say, he says, what was gained to me, I've counted as loss. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I'm reading in the New King James, and count them as rubbish. But now here it is that I may gain Christ. So, what you're holding on to now that you think is valuable and you're afraid to let it go, if you would let it go, consider it as a loss. He's saying, then you can gain Christ. I wonder what we're holding on to or what you might be holding on to in this new year that is keeping you from actually gaining and being added to. Wouldn't that be horrible to get your balance sheet in front of somebody and they said, well, man, if you would have just let this go, it would have increased this side. If you would have let that agenda go, let your plans go, then you could have actually gained access to God's purpose because many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I don't want to hold on to my plan, value my plan, give all this attention and effort to my plan and find out I could have had his purpose the whole time. And now I've lost his purpose and gained my plans, gained my agendas, and when that goes on the altar, guess what? It's burned up, it's consumed, it means nothing. No, I wanna go into 2020 with God's agenda. Go into 2020 with God's plan. Go into 2020 with God's mindset. God, what do you have for me? What is of value and worth to you? What is of value uh, uh, and, 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 and is going to increase my life? And if it's gonna decrease me, I want nothing to do with it. If it's a relationship, if it's an obligation, if it's money, if it's stuff, uh, if it's things that I do that are just taking my time, if I could be investing that somewhere else, please reveal it to me. Because I don't want to end up with a balance sheet that's upside down. I want to have gains. I want to have gains. He says this, that I may gain Christ, and then verse 9, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness. I'm taking it out of the prophet column. I'm putting it into the lost column. Which is from the law, but that which is faith in Christ. I'm moving that over to the prophet column. Uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God, by faith, that I may know him and the power of, res- of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying? Now he's saying all this stuff in my life that I thought were losses, now I'm finding out they were actually to my game. Every subtraction, every negative, every failure, every time I didn't reach, every time I didn't achieve, every time I didn't think it mattered, every time I didn't think anybody saw it, every time I didn't think anybody noticed it, every time I thought I was even doing the wrong thing, every time I thought I was taking steps backwards, now God is showing me my balance sheet and he's lining all those things up under the other column. And now I'm finding that that loss was to my gain and that sacrifice was to my benefit and that failure was actually for my achievement and that was actually success... You know what, the thing about progress is progress rarely feels like progress when you're in progress. In fact, I've even noticed this, the closer that I get to the end, the further away I feel feel that I am from achieving the goal. Sometimes the most dire, dark scenario means you're right on the cusp of walking into what God has for you. Ask Jesus. When every single one of his disciples and followers and friends, confidants, I mean, he's already being accused falsely by the enemy. It'd be nice to have a couple people go there with you and say, Man, I know this guy. I can vouch for him. He's a good man. Your accusations are false, right? You at least want somebody to step up in your corner and say, whatever these people are saying, don't listen. They have a different agenda. I know him. I've spent the last three and a half years with him very closely. He's never once done any of these things. And then Peter, by a fire, says, I don't even know the guy. Never met him. I'm not that guy. I'm not that person. And adamantly, three times, deny even knowing Jesus. And for Jesus, what he thought, what looked like a loss was a gain because he went back to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I wonder what in our life we've been thinking is in the loss column." the hurts, the pains, the failures, lack of achievement, lack of recognition, lack of affirmation, people leaving us, losing jobs, losing homes, losing money, sickness and disease, and none of it was brought on by God. None of it was brought on by him. He only has good plans for you, to plan, uh, plans to prosper you, plans to, for your success, plans for your achievement. He, he even tells you how to be successful. Why would God, that wants failure on your life and want detriment to your life tell you how to be successful? That's not a very good plan. No, he says, I want you to prosper. Spirit, soul, and body. I want you to prosper in every arena of your life. I want you to prosper socially. I want you to prosper mentally. I want you to prosper physically. I want you to prosper financially. I want you to prosper spiritually. He wants prosperity for you. He wants increase for you. But when the, when, when, the, when the losses come, success. And you might find out you're closer than you think. You might find out you're closer than you think because he goes on here in verse 12. Look what Paul says here in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Look, we're coming up on the end of the year. And the things that you haven't achieved, the things that you don't seem, that don't seem successful, whatever the trials and challenges uh, that this year brought, whatever adversity and oppression that 2019 brought, just keep this in mind. Just keep pressing. Just keep moving. Just keep pushing. Just keep believing. Yet, God is not done with you yet. I said, God is not done with you yet. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, and this is the answer. Your 2020 lies right here. The success, the fulfillment, the achievement, right here. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Good or bad. Success or failure whether it agreed with your plan or it disagreed with your plan, whether it went your way, whether you came out on top or you feel like you came out on bottom, forget the past, press ahead. Forget the past and press ahead. I press ahead. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. Man, it's dangerous if you're not looking forward. You can run into stuff. You can derail your purpose, derail your assignment. Get your hopes up. Get your head up. Look ahead. The race. If you haven't reached the end of your race, you're still running. If you haven't reached the end of your race, you're still running. God still has a work he's doing in you. God still has a work he wants to do through you. I don't care how dire it is. I mean, I care, but I but I don't. You can't have a pity party. You got to have a praise party. That's why he started out by saying, brothers and sisters, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Because you're going to forget the past anyways. And you're going to press on. Forget the past. Forget the past. Worship team, if you come. Forget the past. Forget the past. Throw that verse back up there. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He's calling you. Guys, Paul is writing this from a prison cell. Paul is not writing this from his own library. Paul's not writing this because he's receiving overwhelming amounts of donations toward his ministry. Paul's not writing this because he's raised up so amazing, so many amazing followers. In fact, Two chapters, or one chapter earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul makes this statement, I've got nobody running with me except for Timothy. I've got nobody that I can even pass this thing on to. But Timothy, Timothy cares for you the way I've cared for you. All others have sought their own interest. Everyone else is abandoned. Everyone else is neglected. Paul's not writing this with honestly a great outlook. When he says, I'm looking forward, he's looking through bars on a jail cell. Looking forward. Sitting around stuff that you don't want to know. He's not writing this from comfort. He's not writing this from a resort. He's not writing this on a cruise. He's not writing this as the head of a successful ministry. He's writing this probably in the back of his mind, wondering, did anything I do matter? Did any of this really make a difference? I got one guy. I don't even know if this letter is going to make it to where I intend for it to go. He doesn't know he's writing the two-thirds of the New Testament. He doesn't know you and I are going to sit here in, uh, on the cusp of 2020, reading his words, being encouraged and urged to go into the new year with all of our comforts and all the things that we have in our life using words from a pray, a prison cell where he says, whatever happens, I urge you to rejoice. Forget what's behind. What on earth could give Paul such an outlook? What on earth could give Paul such an opportunity to cast aside every hurt, you know, he even gives his uh, his resume and he says, man, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, stoned. I was left for dead once. How many people can put that on their resume? I died. Still going, still plugging. But then after all that, he even said this. I've even had people that I thought were with me come against me. That once stood right by right beside me. That's probably the one that hurt the most. I'd take 49 lashes on my back any day against having another friend that I invested in, counted on, believed in, poured my life into, walk away from me and refute everything that I've said. In the book of Acts, he even said, daily concern for the churches still cared for those churches still cared that their needs were met even though his weren't. still cared that their mission and their ministry would be successful even though he was on the cusp of having his head taken off and he knew it he knew it to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord He even mentions in one writing, I'm betwixt between the two. Do I go ahead and go on to be with Jesus? Do I stay here and persevere with you? But for your sake, I'll stay. Why am I saying this? The reason why Paul could write this book of Philippians is because he would allow the development process To take place, he recognized that what's important is not always impressive. He recognized that what I do consistently is not always going to be celebrated. And he recognized that sometimes my greatest efforts have to be given to things that look like they're yielding the smallest investments. He recognized that what really matters is the discipline of my life to answer the call of God, follow the call of God. Guys, that's really all that matters in this new year. I know there's all kinds of stuff out there. I know there's all kinds of ketos and, 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 and diets and workouts and, 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 and savings and all the different stuff that we put on our list at the beginning of every year. But the most important thing, if I can urge you, is you've got to answer and follow the call of God on your life. That is the only place of success. And you know, out of all these things, now I was listening to some of the bowl games yesterday, got a chance to watch the last one last night. These guys with just extreme talent, extreme abilities, gonna go on to the NFL, make millions of dollars playing a game, entertaining people. And not everybody's born with those gifts. Not everybody's born with those abilities. Everybody in this room, we don't, have the, we, we don't have the same talents and skills and abilities. And you know what is the greatest way to crucify your gift is compare it to somebody else. You want to destroy the gift and call in your life? Compare it to somebody else's. You'll never walk it out. But out of all those talented individuals, out of all the gifts and the skills that they've acquired, learned, God-given abilities, height, speed, strength, agility, arm. They have something that every single one of us in this room has the ability to develop. It's called discipline. You can do it. You're not born with it. in this room. I would rather have a less talented individual that's disciplined over a highly talented individual that's undisciplined. We've all seen those. We've seen the actors and actresses. We've seen the songwriters, the music artists, the athletes, the businessmen, entrepreneurs. We've all seen them fail, not because they didn't have a gift and an ability and a skill, failed for the lack of discipline to put the talent and skill to good use. Are you improving the resources you have? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God.